This morning, uh, we're kicking off a new series called uh, We See Miracles, and it's a series that we've based uh, out of the book of Mark and some of the miracles that are in there. And Mark's gospel uh, is the shortest of the four gospels. It's a succinct account of Jesus' ministry during a time uh, of persecution within the church. And Mark, uh, if you read through it, places a lot more emphasis on, Jesus, on what Jesus did than on what Jesus said. And so as we look at uh, the miracles and Mark and the account of what happens uh, around them, uh, my hope is that we learn a little bit more about Jesus, about Jesus's nature, about Jesus's character, and about the power that Jesus walked in and the authority that, the authority, uh, that uh, he walked in. And uh, before we do that, um, we're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your truth. And uh, Father, I pray that this morning as, uh, Lord, even as I speak, Father, that you would just take uh, what is said, Father, and even by your Holy Spirit, you speak a unique word into every individual heart in this place. Father God, you know uh, every life, you know every need. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would uh, this morning uh, allow your Holy Spirit to work freely. Lord, use me this morning, Father, to, uh, to, to preach your word well. And Father God, just uh, have your way uh, in this place and let your voice and your message be heard above all and any other noise that takes place in this room. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, just let me wiggle a bit. I might need to ditch this one. Hey? Yeah, do I need to ditch it? All right, please hold. Okay, let's try this. So if you've read Mark before, uh, you would have noticed that Mark moves uh, pretty quickly through uh, Jesus' miracles, he mo it moves pretty quickly through uh, one episode of Jesus' life and ministry. So it just goes one after the other, um, after the other. And uh, you'd even notice that in, in the book of Mark, it starts fairly late on in Jesus' life. So where you have Matthew starting uh, with the genealogy of Jesus, where you have John starting uh, right back at the beginning of creation, and the, word, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, um, you, you have... Uh, Mark drops us right into Jesus' water baptism and um, straight into the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And before we get into uh, the accounts of Jesus' miracles uh, that are in Mark and the one we're going to look at this morning, I thought it would be good for us to do uh, just some background on who Mark is, uh, who is this Mark that's write, written this gospel, um, you know, who is he writing to, and what do we believe uh, is the purpose of this gospel that he has given us. And so Mark is uh, a close associate of Peter, who was instrumental in, uh, instrumental in the church's beginning. And through Peter, Mark receives, uh, he receives knowledge and he receives uh, the traditions of Jesus and Jesus's ministry, Jesus's healings, um, what Jesus kind of goes uh, through. And uh, Mark has picked this up through Peter's teaching, uh, Peter's preaching, and through Peter's instructions to uh, the needs of the early church community. 
So it's, uh, it's, it's generally agreed that uh, the Mark that we're talking about here who wrote this gospel, the Mark who was associated with Peter is also the John Mark that we read about in the book of Acts. And so we read uh, in Acts 12 how Mark accompanied, uh, he accompanied uh, Paul and Barnabas on, a missions, on their first missions trip. And while he's out uh, doing their missions trip, they, they kind of remember this is the persecuted church that these guys are ministering to, or this is a time of persecution that they're ministering in. And so Mark hits the point where he gets a bit frightened uh, and a bit scared about what's ahead of him uh, in the missions. And so Mark says, oh man, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going back home to Jerusalem, uh, find my family, hang out there. And so uh, he, he abandons uh, Barnabas and Paul and kind of heads back home. And so uh, later on, uh, Barnabas wants to bring Mark back. And uh, Paul says, uh, nah, he ditched us. Uh, that we ain't having him back. And, and as, as I was kind of reading this account of, of, of Mark, I was like, man, this is like a church leadership thing. Man. It's like, two, you know, you've got two church leaders who are at it. Uh, and and so, so Barnabas says, well, well, I'm off. And so at that point, Paul and Barnabas uh, separate in their ministries. Barnabas goes off with uh, John Mark. And uh, we don't kind of hear of the two of them uh, again in the book of Acts. And Paul goes off with Silas to continue um, his ministry. And so Mark appears in Paul's letter uh, later on in Colossians, uh, where Paul writes uh, and sends a greeting to the Colossians church saying, uh, you have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so at some point between when Mark, when Paul decided, nah, we're not having this guy back again, and he separates from Barnabas, and when Paul starts writing to uh, the Colossians, the Colossian church, uh, Paul has, has kind of, Mark has kind of worked his way back into Paul's favor, or he's kind of, Paul's kind of see, seen some growth in Mark as he's been ministering uh, with Barnabas. And so at that point, he's gaining his way back into Paul's confidence, and by the end of Paul's ministry, Mark has actually fully uh, had, has, had fully regained his um, his favor, Paul's favor. And so the John Mark who journeyed with Peter in, in the formation of the church, and, and it's noted about the book of Mark that a lot of the writing is actually an account of what he was taught by Peter uh, and not uh, necessarily a firsthand account of his own. Uh, but the Mark that was uh, journeying with Peter at the formation of the church and who traveled uh, with Barnabas and Paul on their ministry building uh, the early church. He is the one who brings us uh, this gospel and who brings us this good news account of Jesus. Oh, I just need to take a breath for a minute. So Mark's believed uh, to have been written in Rome. Anyone been to Rome? Oh, I should put my hand down. I haven't been there. Anyone want to go to Rome? Should we do a church missions trip to Rome? Yeah. <laughs> I think we've got some, I think we've got people who want church missions trip to the Pacific Islands and all sorts of things. Um, so Mark's believed to have been written in Rome, and uh, evidence points to his audience being the Roman church and, uh, you know, at the very least, the Gentile readers. Uh, so he's writing to those who 
uh, within Rome who are followers of Christ uh, and who are seeking uh, to know more about Jesus. Among the many, among the many things of uh, and the many things that are emphasized in Mark is the gospel, is the is the miracles that Jesus did. Is ah ah the miracles that Jesus did. I was going to say English second language, but it's like it's not my second language, so <laughs> I can't use that excuse. And so Mark dedicates. Um, Mark dedicates more of his account to Jesus' miracles uh, than any of the other gospel writers. And so for Mark, these miracles were a demonstration of uh, who Jesus is. It was a demonstration of Jesus' power. It was a demonstration of who Jesus had power, uh, what Jesus had power over. And, uh, you know, the power that Jesus had over uh, diseases, evil, even over the, uh, nature. And uh, many flocked uh, and because of it, many flocked to Jesus for healing and to be fed. And though some wondered who Jesus was, uh, many of them uh, just saw what Jesus was doing and followed him. And so throughout the series, we're going to look at uh, some of these miracles and some of the events that have happened around them to see what we can learn, uh, not just about the miracles or about what's happened to the people who were on the receiving end of uh, the miracles, but what we can learn about Jesus. Is that all right? So let's get into the text, uh, and we're going to go from the beginning as uh, we make our way through uh, to the first miracle that we're going to look at. So chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> and I'm just going to, I'm not going to read the whole thing, I'm just going to kind of give us a brief race through to the to the miracle that we're going to be looking at. But I will read chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. And so Mark introduces his gospel, and he, cha- he, he straight away highlights three very important things. It is the beginning of the gospel. The gospel, the word gospel can also be translated good news. So right at the start, he's saying, Here's the good news. And then he says, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. So he's identified what it is, good news. He's identified who it's about, Jesus Christ. And then he says, the Son of God. He identifies Jesus' deity. And so... In his, in, right at the start, Mark is saying, we're not just talking about an account of any man, of any prophet. We are talking about the account of Jesus, the Messiah, who was the Son of God, God in the flesh uh, with us. Now, uh, some, some commentators believe that that is the extent of what Mark writes, and then the rest is just um, gathered from his teachings and from his relationship uh, with Peter. And so we get that in verse 1. And then in verse 2 to verse 11, uh, we read uh, the account of Jesus' baptism. And so Mark, Mark in his account of Jesus' baptism shows very little dialogue between Jesus and John the Baptist. Uh, the dialogue that we see in some of the other Gospels where 
um, you know, Jesus says, I've come down to be water baptized. John says, no, who am I to water baptize you? Jesus says, you, we need to do this as it's been. Uh, so Mark, Mark doesn't account uh, any of that uh, in his writing. And so he just kind of uh, goes straight uh, into Jesus comes down. Jesus gets water baptized, and then Jesus is sent into uh, a time of temptation. And so right from the outset, uh, we kind of get the sense of the pace at which Mark is going uh, to be moving through the account of Jesus' life. Uh, a little bit faster than the pace that I'm talking through uh, this first chapter. We come then to verses uh, 12 and 13, uh, which is a quick and brief account of Jesus being uh, tempted by Satan. And that's a passage that we've heard a lot about uh, over the last uh, few months. But again, Mark doesn't account any of the dialogue uh, between Satan and the devil that takes place in the desert, which we get out of uh, the book of Matthew. And this is followed by uh, Jesus' ministry through Galilee from verses 1, uh, from chapter 1, 14 to 20, where he calls the fisherman Simon, uh, Andrew, James, and John to follow him. And then uh, so begins his ministry and his gathering of the disciples uh, as he kind of moves through uh, Galilee. And so we're going to pick it up at verse 21, where we read the account of Jesus casting out an unclean spirit. So if you've got your Bibles there with you, uh, we have it up here on the screen in the New King James uh, Version. And it says this, verse 21, then they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And so we're in Capernaum, and uh, Capernaum, which was one of the sections of trade uh, between, uh, on the trade, one of the sections in the trade routes between Egypt and Damascus, uh, and Jesus is in there uh, teaching in the synagogue. And then in verse 32, it goes on, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so if you're taking notes this morning, uh, your first point to note down is that, in, uh, is that we have a picture of Jesus the teacher. We have a picture of Jesus the teacher. 42% of Mark's verses contain mention of Jesus' teaching. And, uh, you know, Mark, Mark doesn't mention much about uh, the contents of what Jesus taught uh, because, again, his emphasis was on uh, the ministry work and what Jesus does as a servant son of God. Uh, but he has 42% 42, 42 of his uh, verses contain mention of Jesus' teaching. And so these guys heard Jesus teaching in the synagogue, and they were astonished at this uh, as, it's, as it says, and they recognized that his teaching was not led by the wisdom of any Pharisees, was not led by the wisdom of any scribes, was not led by the wisdom of anything that was in, in the world uh, at that point. But his authority had come from within himself, as the son who was in the father, and in, as the son whom the father is in, the gospel of John tells us. And so Mark is setting Jesus 
apart from scribes. He sent, remember, he's writing to the Roman church who are looking for God through uh, the religious leaders. Mark is setting Jesus aside from the Pharisees and from the scribes and from the other leaders of that time for his Roman and for his Gentile readers to look to for direction. So in a way, Mark's saying, hang on, here's Jesus, look to him. His wisdom is astonishing. His wisdom is greater than that, uh, which we've uh, heard or known. And so he's pointing people to Jesus as, uh, as a leader for their direction. It goes on in verse 23 to say, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. So the term unclean in the Greek bore special connotations in biblical times. So in Old Testament uh, biblical times, unclean, an unclean spirit or someone who was called unclean distinguished between what was lawful and unlawful. It distinguished between what was accepted and rejected in society, and it distinguished between what was godly and ungodly. And so an unclean spirit uh, was a spirit that acts in direct opposition to the Holy Spirit of God. An unclean spirit is any spirit that acts in direct opposition to the Holy Spirit of God. It's the spirit whose suggestions, it's the spirit whose lies, it's the spirit whose deception pollutes the spirit of man and of woman and makes them impure, causing them to move away from their relationship with the Creator. You know, in this case, the man in the synagogue was completely overcome and completely debilitated. Uh, by the Spirit, and it says that he cried out, uh, the Spirit, saying, let us alone, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you ever thought about who said that? An unclean spirit. What have you? To, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so, your second point this morning is that in this miracle we see a picture. Of Jesus' authority. We see that Jesus has authority over the supernatural, specifically in this case. You know, further along in verse uh, 27, after Jesus casts out this demon, it says, uh, Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. You know, this demon 
This demon knew he was doomed. He saw Jesus and he knew he was doomed. I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I've had some demons that need to be a little bit doomed. Little liars who just needed to be put in their place. And the demon does a couple of things in this verse uh, that are interesting in the context of the story. So don't, don't think about this as someone who's reading it historically. Think about it as if you're in the room at this moment. This demon calls Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And some commentators believe uh, that that was by design. And done for a couple of reasons. The first reason was to make those who are witnessing this think less of Jesus or think of Jesus at a lower social standing to who he is. Remember, remember this guy knows that Jesus is the Son of God. This, this demon knows Jesus is the Son of God. But he tries to lower people's expectation of Jesus because at that time, if you were all standing in that room, it would be... Uh, it would be common for you all to think that nothing good was expected out of the town of Nazareth. It's a little bit like, actually I better not say a town, but we expect all good things out of New Zealand town. Just pick an Aussie town. But he names him Jesus of Nazareth to try and lower people's expectation of the reality that he is the Messiah. Who up until this point in Jesus' ministry hasn't been manifested to the rest of the world yet or to anyone else. And then the second reason was to deceive them about Jesus as the Messiah. Because if you were standing in that room in that moment, you were expecting the Messiah to come from Jerusalem. Uh, to, sorry. You're expecting, yes, that's right. You're expecting that the Messiah was to come or to be of Jerusalem. And so hearing that Jesus was of Nazareth would kind of throw you off the scent of who Jesus really is. So knowing who Jesus was, this demon tries to deceive those who are present uh, about Jesus' true identity, which he'd only just done previously. Uh, in the desert by Matthew's account. From Mark chapters 1 through to chapter 8, Mark shows us uh, a lot about the power of Jesus. Uh, he shows us a lot about uh, Jesus' authority, and it's not until chapter 8, verse 25, that the book completely pivots on the testimony of Peter, where uh, it pivots on the revelation and the confession and the testimony of Peter about Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And so up until that point in, in Mark 8 verse 25, what we see is Jesus in power. Yet here in chapter 1, we get a confession uh, of not only who Jesus is, but just how powerful he is. Demons recognize Jesus as the Holy One of God. 
and they recognize that he has power and authority to destroy them. Who's glad they're on that guy's side? In verse 25, it says, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And so your third point this morning is that we get a picture of the cleansing power of Jesus. 1 John verse 1 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't it great to know that we have the cleansing of God, the cleansing of the Son, Let's not forget the first part of it. There is an action required to receive the promise. If we are living in the light, as God is in the light. Then we will have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now we see in this miracle the cleansing power of Jesus. And he is able to make this man clean again and free of that unclean spirit, free of that bondage, free of those chains. And it's a picture of what he will later go on to do for all mankind through his sacrifice on the cross. That through his life, we made clean. That through his life, there is now no demon, no nothing that has power over us if we walk in his light. You know, we can come we can come to Sundays and sit and listen to messages. And I did that for about 20, 21 years. Just sat. It's just what we did. We just went through the motions. We heard about Jesus. I read about Jesus. I even taught about Jesus in the youth. But what we know and what we hear has to become more than just knowledge. It has to be more than just information. It has to be more Then a whole lot of memory verses. You know, 
we can sit and know that uh, there's power in the name of Jesus, that there's healing and restoration in the name of Jesus. And we pro- many of us probably already know that. We can know that there's cleansing through the Holy Spirit because Jesus has all power and authority. But do we know these things so deeply in our heart that we could surrender all our life to Him? As disciples of Jesus, as learners of Jesus. Trusting Him completely, no matter how great or how difficult things are. Who knows, it's easy to love God when things are going well. But then to trust Him and love Him through the storm. That's where character starts to show. Now Jesus rebuked this devil's testimony about who he is. So this devil says, you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebukes him. Because even though this demon knew who Jesus was, knew how powerful Jesus is, knew that Jesus could destroy him, all of his nice words, all of his declarations meant nothing because his loyalty and his allegiances were tied to evil. Just to know God, just to know Jesus, just believing in what Jesus is able to do gets us no further in our relationship with God than that evil spirit. Think about that. spirit knew everything we knew about Jesus. He's the Holy One of God. He knew Jesus was all-powerful. He knew Jesus could destroy him. Yet Jesus rebuked his testimony because his loyalty and allegiances were tied to evil. So to know God, to know His power, to know about Him, to just know about Him gets us no further in our relationship than this spirit. To get beyond that point, we need to move from knowing God, knowing about God, knowing about Jesus, to loving Him. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. To get beyond that point, we need to to get beyond that point of just knowing about Him. We need to obey and surrender to Him.
Luke 9, verse 23. Jesus says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. In order to follow, we need to know where he wants us to go. And so in this story, we see the Messiah who's come full of grace, full of mercy, to set those who are captured in bondage free, to break the strongholds of evil over our lives. We see the Messiah who is all-powerful and mighty in the heavens and the earth, over all powers and principalities. We see the Messiah who gives strength, hope, peace to the hopeless, to the broken, and to the desperate. Messiah who is always with us, amen. The Messiah who is for us, who works in our favor if we allow him to be our teacher and our guide every day of our life. If we allow him to be our forgiver, our cleanser as we live in his light, if we allow him to be our source of power, seeking the empowering of the Holy Spirit through ministry in Jesus' name to fulfill his will and his purpose. John 14, verse 12 and 13. It says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. No greater works than, and greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified. In the Son. This is our victory. That's the victory. That through Jesus Christ, we have access to the Spirit of God. To become all that He has called us to be. We have access to the Spirit of God to be agents of change and transformation in people's lives. Access to the Spirit of God to do great works so that the Father may be glorified through the Son. Amen. So my encouragement for us all this morning is that as we go throughout this week, we will open our hearts to be taught by God. We will open our ears to hear from God. 
that we would open our lives to be forgiven, to allow ourselves to forgive ourselves, and that we would continue to open our lives so that the Holy Spirit can use us in power to do great things for our good.